We are in part two of a series called The Way to Glory, Mark 9. If, you, if you're looking, maybe I'm not reading my Bible a lot, or how do I start? Start with Mark 9, because we're going to be in Mark 9 for the, for the rest of this month. I think it's going to help you. We're going to glean from each other. Now, glory. Some phrases. I thought about some phrases. Glory road. Bask in the glory. Bathe in the glory. If basking is not your thing. There's glory hogs. We know those, don't we, Todd? The glory hogs. They're the worst. Crowned in glory. The glory days. Y'all remember the glory days? Some of you are in the glory days. How about that? No guts, no glory. Go out in a blaze of glory. Yes, glory then is what is the satisfaction, the steam, the weight of greatness that rests on someone who succeeds, who accomplishes great feats, who overcomes, or it may mean the weight of fame, renown, and respect. In the Greek, it could mean brightness or, or, or shining or radiance. Now, some of us have experienced glory on some uh, scale. Uh, how many graduates do we have who graduated this weekend? Do we have a few? Anybody graduated this weekend? All right, we got one. Way to go, Chad. Strong up there. Now, there, there was a little, bit of a, a little bit of a glory in that moment, right? We, we, you, you finished. Now, that made me think about um, back at ECU, I graduated and sitting in the, uh, the audience. I think Alice and I maybe were together walking through those things. I had a big um, things on my hat, you know, celebrating. I was reading the, um, trying to find my name in the bulletin, you know. Where am I? There I am, you know. And then it took me back to the first, my first exam at, at college. Now, I did well in high school. It was a small school, but I did graduate at the top of my class. And so I'm like, coming into ECU, I'm fired up, you know, take my first science exam. And back then, you didn't look up your grade online. You walked your butt all the way to class. And then they had this, like, sheet, and they tried to disguise your grade with numbers but you could kind of know who was who, you know. And then you see what you got. And I, I got like close to failing my first exam. That sinking moment in your stomach, like, this is not good. And then you're like, well, every, I, I kind of carried on my modus operandi from high school into college, and it wasn't working, right? That was my first indication. Um, I had not done well. But that was a moment for me to then take a step back and reassess my approach, right? I could have gotten that great and been like, this is a sign. You know, I'm not supposed to be in college, right? <laughs> or it was, it was a wake-up call. Now, uh, I had another one of those in the sporting world where we had shifted from our kind of lower level athletic conference and we'd moved up a, a rank and we'd won kind of the state title in this lower rank. And so my senior year, we were going to see how good we really were, right? We went to the next. And I remember 
going in that, that it was a tournament game. Corey was there. Um, we, we'd won the first round, barely. It was a miracle. That's another story I'd love to tell, but I can't. And we're going into this championship, uh, this next round, and we play the number one seed in the state. And um, it was, man, we got dogged, y'all. Like, it was nine to zero before we could blink. And you just knew in that moment, like, we're not as good as we thought we were, you know? The only goal we got was I broke on a pass back to the goalie that I just guessed. So I'm, he might pass it back to the goalie. I broke, and he gave it right to me. And I'm like, yeah! And the crowd is like laughing at me because it's nine to one at that point. <laughs> if, if you don't know soccer, that's bad. Um, but I don't think I'm the only person here who has maybe failed a test or, or, or experienced this moment where you realize, man, I'm, I'm in over my head. I think we've all failed probably a, a big or small test. Um, whether it's a parenting scenario, any parents in here failed the test? Okay, if you're a parent, the answer is yes. Um, maybe if you're a kid, an interaction with your parent or someone in authority or at a ball game or when you're by yourself, an opportunity presented itself and you weren't ready for it. We've all found ourselves in situations like this. Um, now, the disciples of Jesus find themselves in a situation like this in Mark 9. Um, and I'm going to pick up in verse 14 where Beatty left off last week. And I'm going to entitle this, <clears throat> The Way to Glory Following Jesus Through the School of Faith. And when they came... To the disciples, they, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, had been on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were coming down their, their mountaintop experience, and they saw a crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran to him and greeted him, and he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone in the crowd answered them, teacher, I brought my son to you. And he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. I love Jesus, man. Every time you feel like you've got him pegged, he's like, he shifts. He says something you didn't expect. And this is not what I'm expecting Jesus to say. You know, here's I had my son. They couldn't do it. We brought him to here. Oh, faithless generation. You know, what are you, Jesus, what are you talking about? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And I love this. about Y'all, I love this. Now imagine this is happening. Here's this boy, and he's foaming, he's running, some kind of fit, and he's rolling around on the ground. What would you do, right? Some kind of remedy, right? Throw yourself on him, you're trying to help, hold his head. I don't know what you're doing, but here's Jesus. He's asking questions. Tell me about how long this has been happening, <laughs> right? How long has this been happening to him? Now we're doing diagnostic questions, you know? And he said, from childhood. 
and as often cast him in the fire and into the water and to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father and the child of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. One version says, you killed him. <laughs> Here Jesus is helping this brother. And now he's, he's been you know, accused of murder. He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast out this thing? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, context here. Jesus, and this is a great example for us, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He kind of had maybe a retreat. He got his, you know, his best friends. They went away for the weekend, right? They had this kind of mountaintop experience. Jesus transfigured before them. They got to see uh, Elijah. They got to see Moses. Beatty did a phenomenal job last week of kind of describing this kind of trailer, this, this picture of the kingdom that was coming so that the disciples, when they go down the mountain and are about to face suffering and confusion, they'll remember this moment to keep them moving forward. So they were coming down. Now the crowd, what, this is kind of the description of a lot of church today. You get some disciples and, and, and then a crowd. And it's interesting that at the end of the resurrection and the ascension, there's just the disciples left. Now, are we opposed to crowds? Absolutely. Now, I pray that, that the crowd of disciples cannot fit in this room. And I think that day's coming where we're going to have multiple services, maybe even multiple locations. But will we have a crowd or will we have a crowd of disciples? And here's... Here's Jesus. He finds the crowd. Now, here's another picture of our culture. They were arguing, right? Arguing. This is a great picture of church. It's a great picture of our um, culture as a whole. We like to argue, don't we? I was challenged by this this week because sometimes our pursuit to be right, there's this argument. What are they arguing about? Well, this boy can't be healed. We walk away from the argument and there's still a boy who needs healing. Are we so interested in being right that we're missing the next generation? Are we so interested in the argument that we miss someone's in need right beside us? Well, figure that one out. There's a boy who needs deliverance. And there's young men and young women all over this culture who need deliverance, who need but we're arguing. Now, what do we see here from Jesus? Number one, in the school of faith, Jesus leads us 
into conflict. And this is a little bit of a, of a balancing for us because there was a, a time even before the pandemic and during the pandemic that we started becoming aware of mental health. We, let's have boundaries. Let's, let's, and this is good stuff. Like We need boundaries. We need good mental health, all that stuff. But Jesus doesn't live on the mountain. He goes into the conflict. There's a crowd. They're arguing. And where does Jesus go? Into that. And our call as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, is not just to live on the mountain. I get my boundaries, right? I get my book. I've got my comfortable lifestyle. And Jesus is saying, all right, that's nice. Well, let's go do that from time to time. Let's do this kind of tidal move of into the retreat and then back into the conflict. And let's move back and forth and engage where the world needs us to engage. And Jesus leads us into conflict. Now, not all conflict is the same. There's, there's political conflict. There's ideological conflict. There's spiritual conflict. And we like to maybe push everything. I was actually talking to my friend Emmanuel last night. He's was in this church for about five years. He just got a job in New Jersey. He's getting married this month or next month, and he's excited. And he was saying, man, he's a Nigerian who lived in Canada. He got his PhD from East Carolina. And he says, we've got to, what I love about this church, he even said this, is that we have a view that not everything is spiritual, but not everything is natural either. We have a holistic view that, man, sometimes things are biological, things are physiological, and things are spiritual. And our, our, our pastor who came a few months ago, Pastor Keith Tower, who's a licensed counselor, he said, look, you can't medicate a demon, right? And you can't cast out something that's physiologically wrong with you. Now, God can do a miracle, yes. And we believe in that in this church. But we also have an understanding that there's a holistic view that the conflicts that we see aren't always physical and ideological, they're spiritual. You know what? I feel that because I can look at someone I love as my brother or my wife or my child or my sister, and I can look at them, and there's something that rises in anger that shouldn't because there's something spiritual feeding the fire. And here we have a spiritual conflict, and we are called as believers into that conflict. We, as a diverse community, Jesus has called GCF Church to be a diverse community of faith because it is a picture of what heaven will be like. That is a call. Let me just tell you, that is a call into conflict. And if you want comfortable, you're not going to be very comfortable here because we don't all think the same. We don't all look the same. We don't all come from the same background. You know what? That's worth fighting for. And when I follow Jesus, he's leading me into that, not out of that. Our call to follow Jesus is a call into conflict for his glory and our good. And following, If you're following Jesus and your world is not... Stepping into conflict, stepping into problems, stepping into things that need solutions. I wonder if we're following Jesus or we're following our comfortable Messiah, right? Instead of our, our Christ who comes in. Jesus didn't come into this world to get served, but to serve. 
And anyone, moms, is service easy? I'm going to guess no. <laughs> Ming, I hope I say this right, Ming Shu, a Chinese philosopher, 4th central B.C., said this, when heaven is about to confer a great responsibility on any man, it will exercise his mind with suffering, subject his sinews and bones to hard work, expose his body to hunger, put him to poverty, place obstacles in the paths of his deeds so as to stimulate his mind, harden his nature, and improve whatever he is incompetent. When God is fashioning us for greatness, for glory, if we're going to follow Jesus into glory, it is the trials, it is the conflict, it is the need that forms something in us that comfort will not. Oh, we don't like that. Okay, it's cool. I'm gonna, this is a universal truth, and I'm going to go on. In fact, uh, John Quincy Adams had already been to France once with his father. He was a delegate. We're trying to get French um, support for the Revolutionary War. And he'd come back, and they were going to go again. And, and John Quincy Adams had just been accepted into Harvard. He was, like, excited about going. He was 14. 14. Any 14-year-olds in here accepted to Harvard? He was doing that. And um, he was like, you know, I'm going to take, you know, the summer off and kind of get ready for college. And his mom prods him and pushes him, you need to be with your father in France. You need to go. He's like begrudgingly going. You know, sometimes it takes a mom to push us to do something we wouldn't want to do or do on our own. And moms, that's not only good for our kids, that's your God-given passion and responsibility to do it. I'm thinking about my own older brother who my mom put in the car. I don't know. Did you tell him? I'm not sure. Probably told him. Drove him down to the soccer field. He was, what, eighth, ninth grade? Told him he was trying out for soccer. <laughs> You're trying out for soccer. I don't want to try out for soccer. Uh, did he cry? I can't remember. He cried. <laughs> He's not here. He cried. <laughs> Where is he at? That's a good question. I'm going to get there. So look. Drops him off and drives off. He's like in the street crying. <laughs> That's a good mom. You, know, you want to know why? Because he walks on the field, learns the game of soccer. Now he's a soccer coach. Now he's training young women with the character and the skills to face life, some of which are in this room, right? And he's at a soccer tournament this weekend, training, leading young women. Now, why? Because mom pushed the son. I don't want to. Don't care. And so here Abigail Adams is pushing her son to go where he doesn't want to go. And listen, I love one of my favorite women of history right here. This is what she said. She writes him a letter kind of saying, sorry, not sorry. Moms are good for that. I'm sorry that I made you go. Not really. <clears throat> and this is what she says. These are the times in which a genius would wish to live. In the middle of war. In the middle of war. It is not the still and calm of life 
or the repose of a Pacific station that great characters are formed. The habits of a vigorous mind are formed in contending with difficulties. All history will convince you of this. And that wisdom and penetration are the fruits of experience, not the lessons of retirement and leisure and video games. Wait, that's not in here. I messed that up. Sorry. Great necessities call out great virtues. When a mind is raised and animated by scenes that engage the heart, then those qualities which would otherwise lay dormant wake into life and form the character of the hero and the statesman. Something happens when we engage in conflict, when we, we follow Jesus into conflict and we experience something we don't like and in the moment isn't good for us, that awakens something in us that we wouldn't have gotten there without it. And parents and teachers and mentors, I understand the heart to shift towards making things better for our kids. I want my kids to have better. But if we rescue them from every trial and we make things easier, we steal from them what otherwise would have been forged in them. I'm tempted. I get it. If that bo- my son was lying on the ground, flailing around, don't you think I would have jumped down on him? Jesus asking questions. Is it working? It's not. And anyone who walks on the university campus and talks to the administration will tell you it's the greatest challenge of our times. There's no resilience. We don't know how to deal with difficulty. The C or the D or the E doesn't forge a desire to shift a strategy and move forward, but to give up. But Jesus, our good Father and our good friend and our amazing Savior, leads us into it. He does. Number two, Jesus gives us room for failure. I want you to look at this. Jesus gives us room for failure. He left the disciples down there. I pray he probably knew what was happening. He's up on the mountain with the three, hanging out. That brothers are struggling down there, right? You know how I know he probably did that? Because there was a time when they were going in the boat and the storm was coming. He was sleeping. Y'all remember? Just sleeping on the boat. Just probably having a good time. And the, the disciples are hanging out. We're dying! And here's the accusation. Don't you care? She's like, what? What, what happened? Oh, storm, right? We just read, sang that song this morning. He's riding on the storm, right? He's just like, oh, the storm. <laughs> right? Because it's in the failure Those disciples were like, why can't we do it? Man, we've been casting out devils. All right, come here, 12. Come here. You're going to go out, cast out devils, heal the sick. 
Man, I mean, they're going, the devils are just going to bow before you, man. I'm going to give you authority. Boom. They go out, boom. They come back. We did it, Jesus. Even the demons submit to us. She's like, good job. And he's like, no, I'm going to send him this guy. <laughs> come out. He was like, I ain't, no. That's exactly what happened. These guys, not inexperienced. He brought a situation to them that their experience, nor their authority, nor their power could overcome. Why? To awaken something in them, to fail and realize this is, I can't rely on the strategy. The strategy got me here. But he will get me there. My faith isn't in the strap. Man, I, I rubbed his head just like that. And that devil went out, and then when I rubbed his head like that, it didn't come out. Because it, that didn't do anything. But God, who has all authority, who lives inside of you, he gave you, he gifted you authority. Now he's wanting you to cultivate it. Because failure awakens us to our need for God. Now, look at this, just to push this point home. Luke 22, here's Jesus. He looks over to Simon. This is after Simon is already like, you're the Christ. I'll die for you, Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to Simon. I mean, can you imagine this conversation? You and your mentor hanging out. Satan has demanded to have you. But you told him he couldn't, right? Right? Satan has demanded to have you. But thank you, Jesus. You took care of that. Thank you for letting me know. I will testify to that. You know, I will worship you on Sunday because of that. See, Jesus, the devil wanted me, but Jesus said he couldn't have me. No, that's not what he said. He said that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So Jesus said, all right, look, I'll set you up, bro. Here you go. And then he backed away. Let's see how you do. You know, spoiler alert, he did not do well. <laughs> Why? We'll get to that in the next one. But we got to give, Jesus gives us room to fail. He gave Adam and Eve the room to fail. I mean, every tree is yours. Enjoy it. But not that one. Why? I want to see if you'll trust me. Because love and trust together, Jesus doesn't want robots. He wants relationship. Relationships based on will and trust and the opportunity not to. So, man, if you'll just trust me, that, that, that tree's no bueno, right? Trust me. And they did it. Why? Because failure, because love demands room. And brings me into my third point here. Jesus sees us on a journey. Jesus is not in a hurry-ish. If you notice here, this passage, there's something that Jesus is in a hurry about. But it's not getting you out of discomfort, getting, out, getting you out of uncomfortable situations. He's not in a hurry of that. But he is in a hurry that you'll believe. How long? How long will I be with you? 
Jesus sees us on a journey. How long will I bear with you? This father, I do believe, help my unbelief. The father instantaneously realized, I don't have the faith I thought I had. I do believe, help my unbelief. I'm on a journey. Paul, though I haven't attained this, I press on that I may lay hold. I'm on a journey. And then Jesus to Peter, right here. Peter, Jesus, the devil's demanded of you. I prayed for you. Now listen, this is the next verse. Peter said to him, no, no, uh, verse two, uh, 32. But I have prayed for you that you, your faith may not fail. And when you turn again, Strengthen your brothers. So he knows he's going to fail. But when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow. You'll deny me three times. So what's the point? The point is, Peter's on a journey and his failure and what he learns through the failure will be the reservoir of faith and encouragement to pull his friends out of their failure to God. So God's using your failure not just for you. Your discomfort is not just about you. It's about those that God will bring with you. When you turn, restore your brothers. Psalm 84, 6, and though they go through the valley of Baca, which means weeping, they will make it a place of springs. Because in the weeping, in the travail, in the hard times, in the conflict, something's cultivated. There's a reservoir of hope. If God can get me out of this, he can get you out of that. If God can pull me and my wife through this, he can pull this couple out of that. If God can pull my kids through this, he can pull your kids through that. Man, Jesus has given us room to fail and he's seeing us on a journey, a journey of faith, the school of faith. Will you trust? Will we believe? Y'all want to see something cool here? Mark 9 right here. These disciples, no power. Can't cast this devil out. But if we take a step back, we see a bigger picture. We go all the way to Acts 3. Peter and John are at the gate beautiful, and there's this crippled boy who's asking for stuff, or a man, I can't remember. And he says, hey, silver and gold, I have none, but what I have, I give to you. You know what? The same phrase is mentioned here, that's mentioned in Mark 9. He grabs them by the hand, and pulls him off the ground, and he's healed. Parents, moms, you are not who you will be. Young people, middle schoolers, praise God. You are not who you will be. I think about my middle school. Praise God. My husky jeans. Right? Look. I am not who I will be. I'm on a journey. Mark 9, no amount of slapping, yelling, kicking, screaming did anything. Acts 3, yanked a crippled man off the ground. 
Same people. A different level of faith. Because why? They followed Jesus through the school of faith. I'm in a trial. You're in class. I failed. You failed the test. But look, you're in a school of faith. Less, here's the key though. We get to the end of our school of faith. What did, the, what did the disciples say? Hey, look, we failed the test, right? Y'all remember the kind of the, the class after the test? We failed the test. So I was like, Jesus, why couldn't we cast that thing out? We even did some of this. Nothing worked. Okay? What did he say? This kind comes only out through prayer. Some translations say prayer and fasting. Prayer. Prayer? Prayer. Seems kind of innocuous, doesn't it, Lorraine? Prayer? Prayer? What is Jesus saying? What is, why do we pray? Why does anyone pray? There's need. They, they realize in myself, I don't have enough. I don't have the fullness of what I need. Maybe you are feeling lonely. Maybe you're feeling dissatisfied. Maybe the mountain didn't give you what you thought it would. And you pray. Maybe you're in the valley and you need a miracle. You pray. But prayer is the acknowledgement that I don't have in myself what I need, what God's going to do for me or call me to do, or what I need in this situation. Prayer is an acknowledgement. It's a humility. It's a coming down the mountain of self-sufficiency and pride, and I can do everything myself, and everything's great. It's not. I need God. And it's in this relationship with God that I have real power to bring a solution to the conflict around me. Because at the heart of it, it's a spiritual problem. And so, why do we pray? We recognize we are not the most powerful personality in the universe. We recognize our need and our lack, physical, emotional, needs in the world we don't have answers for. We recognize that we are not satisfied outside of God. What prayer says, the way to glory is to realize I need God to do something in me and in the world that only he can do. We need prayer. Jesus, our great Savior, did a couple things for us. He stepped into conflict. Not just in this, but in all of human history. Jesus saw our need. It's the only worldview. It's the only religion that says this. God stepped into your conflict. He didn't stand distant from it. That's how good God is. So good Jesus is. He steps into your conflict. Tempted in every way but without sin. He knows your frailty. He knows you're in my weakness. Jesus had many opportunities to fail, but he did not. Jesus was on a journey himself, but the journey wasn't for self-exaltation. The journey was for your exaltation, that he would be rejected, that he would be crucified, that he would suffer so that you would be accepted, so that you would now have the provision for failure. 
The question isn't, will we fail the test? Which test will we fail? And then we'll see Christ has made provision for that failure so that you can show others, look, you failed, but look, here's the cheat sheet. Christ died. You have the spirit. You have a a strength and a grace that you didn't earn. It was gifted to you. I've walked through it, and this is how you access it. Boom, let's move forward. The way to glory is following Jesus through the school of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that you did not leave us in our sin, in our brokenness, that you didn't just drop letters from the sky, that you stepped into our world, felt what we feel, understood us at the deepest unimaginable level, was rejected, was cursed, was beaten, and triumphed over the death and hell. You are a good God, our great King, King Jesus, who walks with us into conflict. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've made provision for our failure. There's no failure in here this morning that Jesus hasn't made provision for. No failure. There's no failure Jesus hasn't made provision for. There's no sin he hasn't forgiven. There's no curse he hasn't bore on his body. There's no rejection that he hasn't experienced so that you might be accepted and adopted into the family of God. Jesus, our great mentor, our great teacher, our great friend, gives us everything we need for glory. The question is, will we follow him? So that's my prayer this morning. If you're in here this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want to follow Jesus today, I want you to raise your hand. Say, I I want to follow Jesus today. Raise it high. I want to follow Jesus today. Amen. You can put it down. Father, I pray that you would help every individual who raised their hand with the grace and the strength to know that you're with them and that you're for them and that you've made every provision for them to follow you into glory. Not just in that life, but in this one. And Lord, may we partner with you. May we be a part of what you're doing in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we stand to our feet as we close this morning? Let's give the Lord a hand. Sure. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being with us. Hope you've had an amazing Mother's Day. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you next week for part three of The Way to Glory. Turn around and greet someone. Tell them you're glad they're here. We'll see you next week. If you need prayer or anything, we'll be down front to pray with you.